0: It is trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist.
1: What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Your dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time.
0: That doesn't make sense. from creatures killers demons and doom will it be too late when they realize they are in a tall tale of their own and um this movie might not necessarily kind of uh make you want to go out and buy it immediately if you watch the trailer uh it is definitely lower budget but as people who know me um and, and pat can attest to this as well uh, I like to support any type of indie content. I mean, heck we are indie, uh, creators ourselves. So, uh, I do plan on probably picking this up. Uh, I mean, the digital is not that expensive. Um, so I might pick it up and watch it and we'll probably review it on the show at some point. Um, but you know, I'm just out there trying to help uh, indie creators support their work and, and get their work out there. Um, we have an we'll have an affiliate link, but uh, yeah, Pat. And, you know, you know me. I, I I support a lot of indie content, don't I?
1: As far as indie content goes, I'd say that you'd probably be one of the people I know that would watch specifically, like probably the lowest budget movie you could think of, and like still find
0: some type of way to enjoy it. I, I, yeah, I remember, um, and this was before you were starting to record here regularly with us. Uh, Horror Hotel, I covered that one, and you you were going to cover it um, with me, and you you bowed out. You bowed out. You couldn't make it through like the first what ten minutes of the first one.
1: I bowed out, and I also made it all the way through Birdemic. So I don't, <laughs> I don't really know where the balance is,
0: but uh, I, I think I know what the balance is you were probably drunk watching bird (laughs) damage. No comment. (laughs) So, yeah, I, 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 and I think that's kind of the point of the podcast. The point of the show is even though something might not be, uh, firing on all cylinders or a hundred percent or have nice, the nice fine polish. Um, as long as there's some creativity to it, I think that, um, one, and also there's a passion. If you can feel that passion, in the project, I think that that can really show regardless of what type of financial backing, what type of, uh, talent pool they're, they're drawing from. And I always feel like there's always that gateway, uh, project. So this could always be a gateway project. Um, you know, yes, this we'll, we'll have an affiliate link, which means we'll, we'll get some kickback if we make any sales on it, but I wouldn't, sign up for that if like i'm not willing to back it up so i i will uh purchase a digital probably digital copy in this case um and watch it and review it on the show to kind of put the my money where my mouth is um so that it's not just me going hey go buy this product that i'm not going to you know actually put any time or investment into it so um I just wanted to give that quick plug. It's gonna the link for it is going to be in I think the description of the podcast. It should show up on iTunes and Podbean uh, and Spotify. So um, and possibly Google Play. I haven't checked. We are now available on the Google Play Store. Um, I haven't really like looked on there yet to see how our episodes show up, but um, everything should all be there for it when uh, this episode releases. Uh, so. I also wanted to kind of give you guys a, an update or at least a schedule of what we're going to be doing on future up, uh, episodes of the podcast. Um, currently, right now, we have a Twitter pool going um, about what you guys want for kind of the Christmas season. And we were thinking about doing a, a 12 days of Christmas kind of akin to my 31 days of horror or doing a top 12 Christmas list um uh, episode and it looks like the the uh, top twelve Christmas movies is kind of what we're going to be focusing on. And then uh, I followed that up with a tweet saying, uh, "Do you want us to do separate lists for like, you know, basically mainstream Christmas movies and um, like horror Christmas movies? You know, not instead of kind of keeping." them all together in, like, one category or to do, uh, you know, do separate or do a mixed list, and it looks like a mixed list is uh, in the works, so uh, we'll see. We still have, like, two days uh, currently as of recording for the poll to to wrap up, and um, we will have that uh, coming out, I believe, the week of Christmas, and uh, we are... Uh, also going to ask you guys if you want to um, write into the podcast, you can DM on Twitter or you can write in at critics cynics at gmail dot com with some of your uh, favorite Christmas movies. And, and we'll talk about them on the on the podcast. Do you have anything uh, you want to add?
1: I think I think that I'll just create a horror film where I kill seven days of Christmas so we can shorten it down to like a list of five. <laughs> <laughs> But but yeah, I think that we'll be able to come up with a good list of twelve between regular horror and Christmas horror, I, I or agree. regular Christmas movies <laughs> and and, uh, and Christmas horror movies. That is. I
0: agree, <laughs> and like I can always end up to, to like maybe even uh, I know tangentially anything that takes place at winter because like this is my time of the year where I watch n- if not just Christmas like movies or Christmas horror films. I watch movies, wh- well, Die Hard, of course. Um, I watch like horror films that take place like in the winter, and uh, I got a couple of those uh, kind of in, in a rotation, like The Thing, um, some couple lower-budget ones like uh, Silent Scream and Act, Act of Deaths, and then uh, Shredder, uh, which is like so 2001 when snowboarding was like a huge thing. And uh, it's it's totally a snowboarding horror film that I don't know t- if too many people are actually aware of. But it it has uh, Steve from Full House playing the main like the main character. Uh, if you're not familiar with Steve from Full House, he also does the voice of Aladdin in the original Aladdin movies. Um, Scott Weing- Weinger, if I'm saying his last name right. But uh, yeah, it's one of those movies like where there's a character like sounds like he's a. California surf dude but snowboards man and like it's like that's every single line of his thing and trying to get this guy into like snowboarding olympics or whatever so yeah that's one that works in its rotation every winter for me um but yeah that's that's kind of the plan uh we still are working on our um Released for our Terminator franchise review, we still have our our T2 episode uh, that we plan on recording. I am now officially all caught up on the Terminator franchise. I did watch uh, Genesis last weekend, and I got some thoughts on it. So that'll be a great one uh, when when we go to cover that. But specifically for this episode, we're going to be talking about um, Mandalorian episodes four and five, since we weren't able to cover uh, episode four last weekend. And uh, then we're going to move in and talk about uh, the Netflix movie, El Camino, um, the kind of cap to uh, the Breaking Bad series. So um, going off of that, uh, I know you and I probably are going to disagree on episode four of The Mandalorian. So this is going to be interesting. Um, So episode four of the Mandalorian, I believe the title of that chapter was, uh, sanctuary. And, and, uh, this is where we kind of get introduced to, um, kind of a backwater planet. That's, uh, I, I, I would assume it's almost outer rim, especially where episode episode five goes, um, where they're not, they're more agrarian in their culture. Like they still have technology. They're still droids and stuff like that. But they're more farming community. Like uh they're actually like farming like plants and food. And um we have uh it, it opens up with kind of the sequence where the villagers are all kind of going about their daily business and they all of a sudden start getting attacked by a group of soldiers, and uh then eventually Mando and uh baby Yoda. All arrive on the planet and kind of get involved in this in the um, the uh, situation that ends up kind of filling out the rest of the storyline. Um, we also get introduced to to uh, Cardoon in this episode, played by Gina Carano. Um, so we get some more background into kind of the lore of the Mandalorians, and we get, I think, uh, probably the the most cute sequences of of Baby Yoda that we've seen yet. So. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, and, and I'm going to let you kind of go ahead and lead with your thoughts, and then I will talk about my thoughts.
1: All right, so my thoughts on episode four is the uh, just a preface with the first three episodes. It set up a main storyline. Episode one through three kind of paved the way for what is most likely going to be covered after, like, in the later chapters, and I think that episode four, if if anyone's familiar with, like, I'll, I'll just say the most common game that's been played, re like in recent history, where there's a bunch of side quests, let's just go with Skyrim. So you're doing your main quest, and then boom, you're you're stuck doing side quest. And I think that episode four for the Mandalorian was like a side quest mission to where it gets you it, it was trying to get you away from the main storyline just enough to do some character building and then eventually get around to throwing you back into the the main the main part of it and that that's kind of why I didn't see this as like a ground like a groundbreaking episode or anything. I, I did enjoy it but it wasn't it, by any means my favorite.
0: Well, you know, and I wasn't exactly, I, I would agree. It's not groundbreaking. And I don't think anybody would necessarily make the argument that it was a groundbreaking, breaking episode, but, um, kind of, uh, you know, if you think about it in the context of this, like being like, uh, maybe like, a with um, without many other episodes, This it is this eight episodes. If they're, like a half hour part it might be almost like a six hour movie or four hour movie. Um, if you look at it, I think in the context of it being almost like a film and, and TV shows do this too. I, and I know there's been plenty of episodes of like arrow in any sci-fi show. Uh, hell, if you, if you even go to like Dragon Ball Z, they would have filler episodes where they weren't really focusing on the main, uh, aspect of the story arc. Uh, this feels like it was kind of more to kind of regroup and, um, and my guess is ultimately it comes down to the budget where they didn't have to do too many, um, like CGI effects that they could keep it very practical, put most of their money on, on the ATST, uh, and still keep it very simplistic episode, but, but giving us enough, enough background and enough story, uh, to get us to learn more things about, about Mando, um, and you know, again, like I said, I think there were a lot of cute moments with with Baby Yoda in this, like when uh, you know he orders the soup, and then he goes after Cara Dune because he thinks that she's a bounty hunter who's after him, and she thinks he's a bounty hunter after her, and they're they're like holding the pistols at each other, and they both look, and there's Yoda just sipping the soup, uh, watching them, and it's just like it's it's just funny, and it, and it, and it's very cute, and the uh, but I did really like kind of. So we're we're getting 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 the idea that Mando is kind of this like hard ass like he is just out there for himself he's just a hard person, um, and then we start seeing kind of chinks in that armor with him protecting Baby Yoda, and now we see him kind of having an interaction with uh, a female character, um, the 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 village woman um, who impresses him. And seeing some chemistry in there. So we're kind of seeing more of a softness to him that there's more to him. He's a more three-dimensional character than just, I'm a badass. I kill people. I don't care about anyone. I do what I want to do. And uh, so I think I enjoyed this because, of course, you know me. I like things that kind of fill out a story, uh, kind of give us more background and more explanation. Uh, Like we understand that they can't take their helmets off around people they can they can take them off in private but they can't take them off around people and we didn't understand why uh we just knew that that was the way and or that is the way and um and then he explains to her because that if they were to take it off in front of somebody they can never put the helmet back on that they end up forfeiting their their uh, name as a mandalorian and i I kind of like that because it's like an honor based culture and to take off their helmet is a sign of weakness. Now I did have a, a discussion with a coworker cause we were wondering about if you take into the context of like star Wars rebels and uh, clone wars, like they were taking their helmets off all the time. And I'm wondering cause we've, we've heard it referenced, but we still don't know exactly what happened, but we've heard about the great purge. That's where like the Beskar was taken by the in- empire Mandalorians kind of were wiped out and went into hiding that maybe that this was something that was developed after kind of, uh, there's a couple episodes in star Wars rebels where the empire ended up killing like a lot of Mandalorians with this weapon and, uh, stuff that happened kind of from the sequence or from the events of uh, a new hope through return of the Jedi, that that's kind of now become a part of their cultural, heritage that they they won't remove this uh and essentially like with what he's telling her like if I'm gonna take this off in front of you like I'm retiring like I'm I'm settling down I'm living life out the rest of this way and uh we obviously see in this episode that he's not ready for that now I did also like uh kind of his understanding like this would have been a perfect place for babe to leave baby Yoda like the villagers were willing to protect him. Uh, he got you know he was with kids that were the equivalent of his own age, considering that you know Baby Yoda's fifty and these kids are like maybe ten or twelve. But you know still they're all kids and they're all playing and having fun. Um, and so I kind of liked all that aspect. I, I didn't I didn't find it slow. I didn't find it really boring. I know other people did. I'm not uh, saying that you necessarily found it boring. I know for you I think it felt like it, it stopped like progress, like it went from full tilt to stop. And then it started to pick back up again when you felt like the the the, those first three episodes kind of set something else up for you.
1: Um, Yeah, I think that as far as like we know, this is going to be a short series at, at this point, at least. Um, so I didn't, I didn't think that they were going to slow down as much as they did. I I will say that the ATST scene was really well done. I agree. Like that, that firefight was like, a, once again, it's one of those things where they've done those scenes very well. So I don't think that I'm going to be disappointed at any point <laughs> in those. So yeah, I it- do definitely look forward to seeing if uh, they're going to include any other like big stuff like that maybe he sees some like I don't know we'll see where they go with it
0: yeah and I'm kind of expecting that the um, that the final um, the final episode for this season because um, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be like steeped in a lot of uh, mystery and stuff that uh, that they are, are going to kind of um, give us like maybe probably a very big firefight uh, in chapter eight, which of course will be right after Christmas when that comes out. Um, and I, I will say it's probably not the strongest episode of the first five episodes, but I also wouldn't say uh, in kind of the scope of television in general, it's like not the worst episode of television. And no, um, not, not at all. <laughs> and like, I, I mean, it just uh, for me, it felt kind of organic. Like it felt like, you know, of course, he's on the run. He's trying to hide from bounty hunters. He's finding a backwater planet. Uh, and then, of course, finds that now nah, this isn't quite the place that he needs to go. And he's got to keep jumping, especially with uh, realizing that bounty hunters are still after them, that they have the tracking fobs um so kind of regardless of where he goes, he can't stay there for a long period of time. Um, so I think um, on on my review scale for this one, I think I'm going to go with, even though I've hyped it up a, a lot more than I think you have, I think I'm still going to land about a 3.5 out of it. Um, I think that... It probably could have maybe introduced more of the conflict uh, with that um, dog people, for lack of a better term, not knowing their species. Uh, It could have probably introduced it a little bit uh, sooner. Um, But I did like I did like the introduction 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 of uh, Cara Dune. I um, I did see something and I I, I'm not saying this person's name because I don't want to, like, draw negative attention towards them. They're entitled to their opinion. But uh, they they had complaints about her being the one to take down the um, ATST that it didn't make sense to them and I'm sitting there thinking well okay she's told us her backstory she was she was a rebel she was a shock trooper she was at the battle of Endor so she has military experience uh, she knows weak points and so I didn't really have that issue and uh, and and this person's kind of complaint was well why would the mandalorian who's covered in this full beskar steel uh not go out there and try to do it himself and instead like sends you know this woman out to do it where she could easily get killed cuz she doesn't have any armor and i think my point that i was i was going to make gets proved in episode 5 like just because his beskar can is very strong doesn't mean it can fully absorb like a full blast from something like an ATST. like when we get into episode 5 we see like him getting hit by a sniper bolt from even far away. It doesn't bounce the bolt back off. It it takes the shot and it hel- and he even goes okay. Well, it held up. Like he was lucky that he doesn't die in that shot. So I mean, just because he's got Beskar doesn't mean he's immune to anything. I mean, an ATST bolt still could have blown him to smithereens regardless of his Beskar armor. Um, but I I'm excited to see how Kara Dune plays. Um, into the later episodes of the season, because I believe she's going to show up again. Um, I, I want to learn more about her character, and I, I just, I overall, I did enjoy the vibe of it. I didn't, I know when I started the episode, and it starts kind of with that village raid, I was like, how is this going to play into everything? And of course, obviously, it got explained, but um, I, I can see why people didn't quite enjoy it, but I, I, I liked it because it kind of fleshed out more of, the world, more of the characters and, and, uh, gave us more backstory. So what, what, what score do you give it?
1: Um, I I went on a three and a half out of five as well. Um, yeah, just, I I don't really have anything else to explain other, other than what I've already stated.
0: (laughs) Right. All right. So kind of with that said, we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll talk about episode five, uh, the gunslinger and, before I really t- kind of talk about this one, this is again where, and th- th- this group I will name because they're just absolutely kind of pissing me off at this point because I think they're a little ham fisted in their reviews, uh, and for them to be a site that kind of makes their money off of reviews this way and uh, has a lot of influence in in the way um, things go around. Uh, I I really had an issue with their review for this one because I uh, I actually I, I normally get to work from home on Fridays and I decided I was actually going to go into the office this week and so before I started work at my desk I pulled up IGN's review of this episode and I just was kind of going to the review score I wasn't reading because they put spoilers in their reviews which I don't have an issue with that as long as they announce that they do they have spoilers in their review and. Um, they gave it a 5.5 out of 10. And I'm, I'm and that their complaint was, this was just more of the same. And I'm like, okay, this can't nearly be that bad. And so I, I kind of played it while, uh, I was working. Uh, and then I rewatched it when I got home. And I can't agree with that because although yes, there's, there's nothing here that really fully advances the story along. Um, I still liked it. I liked the action sequences. I liked that. It, it took us back to Tatooine. We've, we're seeing a post Imperial Tatooine. Um, we're seeing a lot of familiar, um, things like we get to see the, uh, you know, pitroids, uh, we get to see the cantina do We got Tusken Raiders, Uh, So I I really liked kind of all these callbacks to A New Hope and Return of the Jedi and and everything and seeing this post-imperial Tatooine that it's not really uh, so much different than it was uh, pre-imperial or during the Empire and even pre-imperial times. Uh, So uh, I I do agree that this uh, the new kind of young um, uh, bounty hunter, um, which uh, uh, played by Jake uh, Cannavale or kind of all, Toro, yeah. Tora Toro Uh he was. I, I think he was supposed to be kind of a Han Solo esque character, uh, but he didn't quite, um, quite have it right. Like he he tried to be charismatic, but he only had one, like level. Like it was always the same throughout every scene of uh, uh, that he was in, and his interactions with the Mandalorian. Um, and again, we get some cute baby Yoda moments, but kind of baby Yoda really kind of (laughs) takes a backseat to this, uh, episode a little bit more. So this one definitely likes to focus more in on Mando and, uh, the job where they're chasing after, um, uh, Fennec, uh, Sean played by Ming-Na Wen. Um, and, uh, you know, this kind of, well, this kid, this kid wants to be in the guild and we have our kind of grizzled uh, bounty hunter who's going to show him a little bit of how to do it to get credits to kind of repair his ship. Uh, which I do. I almost forgot to mention. This opened up with what I thought was a fantastic uh, little dogfight in in space. Uh, people who know me know I really like space battles. I can't really explain it, but I just love the ship battles. And anytime I try to play Battlefront 2, I always want to do the the space battles versus the actual. Uh, ground battles and uh so i really did like kind of that's that sequence of the little chase and and the the blaster fight and then him taking down the other bounty hunter which then requires him to go to dock at tatooine and um and so i i I really did kind of like this this straight up bounty hunter storyline of him going after a target uh trying to show this new kid kind of the ropes uh And then, of course, without going into spoilers, since this is the newest episode and I don't want to kind of reveal anything about uh, what happens to any of the characters by the end of this episode, I'm going to kind of leave it at that. But I did I did really like this episode. Again, it's not like it's groundbreaking. It's not uh, really uh, expanding the story or expanding the mythos or advancing the story, even even. Uh, I'm expecting that to probably since we only have three episodes left, I would expect these next three episodes to be very story driven and taking us into what's going to happen Uh, because we obviously can't have this going on forever. We can't just be going planet to planet to planet to planet, uh, fight to fight to fight to fight without knowing kind of what the end game is for Mando uh so I'm I'm very interested to see where these next three episodes uh line up. And since they are kinda of working on season two, I'm really hoping that season two uh gets here before we know it because uh I know everyone is going to be craving for more episodes after after episode eight. So uh what what thoughts do you have on this episode?
1: That that the dogfight scene was awesome oh, because yeah. like it's it set it up to where like the guy that's chasing him, he says the line that he says in the first episode, and I'd either bring him warm or I could bring in cold, and that kind of, like, sets him off to, and, like, puts the ship on, like, kind of like a, a pause, yeah. and then it, he, like, goes in front of him, and he just, like, destroys that ship. I, th- I thought that scene was really good to start it off with. Um, the... I don't know if you want to speculate on the ending at all, or if you want to leave it to where we we're not going to spoil
0: anything. Um, Well, we can speculate it without saying anything uh, that reveals fates of any other characters. Uh, So the final shot at least shows a, um, a character, but we don't, we really only see his legs or her legs. We don't know if it's a man or a woman and uh, they seem to have, I think a cape or a cloak as well. Uh, And then we just kind of see them bend down to the ground. Now, what they're bending down to, I'm not going to say until everyone has seen the episode, uh, or if we talk about it um, when we cover next week's episode. But uh, my hope or my thoughts would be uh, that maybe this would be Boba Fett. Um, But I am not expecting it to be Boba Fett at all so I really don't have any idea who else it could necessarily be. I don't think it's a character we've necessarily seen yet so far in the series, because I don't think that there would be a need to hide who they were. Um, obviously it's someone that's tracking the Mandalorian. Um, now as for what they're doing at that particular moment of the episode, cause it cuts right there. We don't know. Uh, And we I mean, and and it's a dark scene, so like you can't really tell what their clothes are like, even if it were Boba Fett. It's like you're not necessarily seeing the gray pants that Boba wears or anything like that. Uh, You don't get any hint or any indication of who this character is. So my my. Perfect idea, like in my mind, what it perfectly would be is that it's Boba, because I would love to see a Boba V Mando fight like at the end of this season Uh, considering with now that they've said that like Boba Fett is not truly a Mandalorian. And uh, I would like to kind of see kind of a true Mandalorian go up against Boba Fett, you know, and I liked, I would like for them to establish in this canon that Boba survived the Sarlacc pit. So that's my thoughts. What, what, what thoughts do you have?
1: I, I do think that that would be like optimal, just for like fanboy purposes. Right. Um, I, I do agree that if, if it is, I'll, I'll say that if it's someone that we have we have seen already, it's probably Grief Karga. Just yeah. Just based, based off of the interactions with every other character, he would probably be the only one tracking him at this moment. Uh, I, but this episode does set it up to where he's going to have everyone coming for him. Yeah. Like everyone is going to be coming after him and there's no safe place for him to go with where they will not know his name.
0: And that's where I'm expecting kind of with like uh chapter eight or episode eight to really kind of be this big all out fight. Like I'm expecting that to kind of all culminate in that finale. Um, and see like how this outcome really is. And then we'll probably see some of his allies, uh, we'll see probably Grief Karga there. We'll probably see Cardoon. Um, and anyone else. Maybe even uh, Nick Nolte's Ugnot from whatever planet they were on. Maybe see him kind of come along. I, I have a feeling that people that he's interacted with, that he's had positive interactions with um, in each episode is him building up allies, him unknowingly building up allies that will actually come to his aid In uh, chapter eight. So I I think that that's kind of what they're building up. So like even when we're we're saying like maybe episode four slows down the pace, maybe doesn't uh, build out a whole lot or plays into the narrative that they set up in those first three episodes. I think maybe – and I and I say this about Rise of Skywalker and, and Last Jedi because uh, I know Last Jedi is very divisive amongst people. I mean I even have some issues with it, but overall, I mean I accept it. And I say maybe with the stuff that we saw in Last Jedi, with the context of Rise of Skywalker and then taking it into the full context of Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker – Retroactively, then the last Jedi makes more sense, you know, so I'm thinking that something similar is going on here that, uh, you know, because, again, I said, like the Mandalorian was prior to all of these events prior to episode one was on his own, didn't trust anyone, didn't have interactions with anyone other basically than grief Karga and his bounties. Um, he never really showed that he cared about anyone else. And then being introduced to Baby Yoda, we're starting to see kind of this chink in his armor and him actually relying on more people, uh, helping, helping more people even, um, because I think if you take the Mandalorian, uh, pre episode one, or at least pre the end of episode one and put him in the situation, he finds himself with the, um, with the landing pad engineer later on in this episode I think he wouldn't do anything to help the engineer out, whereas now from everything that's happened in each of these episodes, we've seen him kind of grow as a person, grow as a character to where he's, you know, going to help someone out if he deems it deems them worthy rather not necessarily deems if it's worthy to him or not and he's not even necessarily doing it for credits either he's doing it from his heart and i think that that also comes from his past too which we still need to explore more uh of his past as a foundling so i think for this episode um i think i'm going to land on a uh four out of five on this one um, and I, I just can't wait for these each week. I, I, I really like it. And I think the weekly release schedule and the short run times really make it easy for me to, you know, um, rewatch and, and still like fully enjoy them and, and want more. So what about you? Where do you land?
1: i land on a, a four out of five. And I, I just got to ask, has, has the score grown on you at all? I know that I've been a fan of it the entire time, but like, have you reconsidered it? Uh, I, a, think,
0: uh, I think it's gotten skinny. better i think it's i think it's definitely grown with each episode i know i enjoyed it more this episode than some of the previous ones i think i liked episode four score a lot too and i i think uh three was where it's really started to grow on me one it just kind of felt off and it needed more john williams-esque uh sound to it and i know we definitely Felt that when they're riding the uh, the speeder bikes over the dunes in the Dune Sea, like we kind of got some more of that John Williams sounding score. So yeah, I think it's I think it's grown on me a little bit more. I think it's I think it's now starting to kind of find its place as as part of its canon for the show, you know, and like now it feels more identifiable as part of the Mandalorian. Yeah,
1: I, I see what you mean, Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I think it's been awesome.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for our reviews of those two episodes. And we should have, you know, uh, next week we should have episode six to, to cover for for the podcast. And so now I think we're going to go ahead and move into El Camino. Uh, and we're going to go ahead and play the trailer for you guys. <laughs> the same and And that was the trailer for El Camino. And uh, if you haven't seen the trailer and didn't know what to actually pick up from that, uh, I recommend going out to YouTube and and uh, watching it because it's really a lot more just showing a lot of the the scenes with that music over the background uh, of kind of the stuff that goes on in this. But um, this uh, follows Jesse Pinkman as he uh, escapes at the end of season five of Breaking Bad and what he does to try to uh, move on from that. And honestly, that's basically the entire movie. I think that that was my major major problem with this with this film. Um, I, I it, it does kind of give us some uh, flashback sequences. We see some of the uh, different characters that have actually like, you know died throughout the series. Um, kind of show up in flashbacks um, and give us, like, insight to certain moments that we didn't see within the show. Uh, We got to see some of the period of time of, like, when Jesse was a captive. Uh, And unfortunately, even though I I like him, um, uh, Jesse Plemons as Todd, you know, he doesn't quite look as as thin as he did when he was doing Breaking Bad, so it's kind of hard for me to... that that's supposed to be during that period of time uh, prior to, you know, Jesse being freed. Uh, But I did like callbacks. I did like seeing, uh, was it Weasel and uh, Skinny Pete? uh, Or Badger. I don't know why I want to keep calling him Weasel, but Badger um, uh, and Skinny Pete. Like, it was was good seeing them again, but they don't really play a whole huge role. In fact, like that one uh, teaser trailer that they play where the cops are interrogating skinny Pete. I was kind of expecting to see that in this movie and we didn't even get to see any of that. Um, so I think like, I- I'm not going to have a whole lot to say actually about this, which is, is kind of sad. Uh, I don't know if this needed to really be made. I th- I think that um, leaving us where they left us off at the s- end of season five was probably good enough to like allow your mind to kind of run with what happened to Jesse? What was he going to do? Because I feel like the rest of this movie just kind of squanders that, uh, it's a two hour and uh two minute movie and 99% of it is just him trying to figure out how to get away. And like, there's nothing other than that. Like, yeah, we get kind of that filler of kind of experiences had with, uh, with Todd and um, you know, the kind of the torture he had. Uh, we get to see some stuff that was pre torture. Um, we get a really good scene that I'm not going to talk about. Cause that would kind of be spoilers, although I'm fairly certain people are aware about it. Um, but I, and, and that's probably there's, I think two sequences that uh, I really do think are perfect for this movie. And uh, that would be, the diner sequence near the end. It's a flashback. I really enjoyed that. And then, um, you know, we're talking kind of about the gunslinger bit with, uh, the Mandalorian chapter five. Um, there's pretty much a standoff, uh, moment that's in this movie near the end that I thought was perfectly executed. I I really, really liked that. Um, but other than that, I felt like most of this was just, Filler like I don't feel like it advanced Jesse's story along a whole lot. It uh, gave us nice callbacks, um, but other than that, I, I I don't think we needed this movie. Uh, I hate to say that about a film. I am and I'm not saying that it was acted poorly or that it was directed poorly or even that it was written poorly. I just didn't. It didn't work for me. It I didn't. It didn't jive with me. I didn't feel like this was what I needed to see after the end of breaking bad. Um, I almost would maybe preferred if this was a mini series and then they would have handled some of that stuff in like their first, like three episodes and then gone to the after, like what happens after the end of this movie, because that's what I was more interested in seeing. Um, I did like sequences involving his parents and what he does there um especially that phone call like so there are 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 bits of this that are really, really good, but they are you know far and few between, and they're overshined over uh, by parts that are just unnecessary. it's kind of like my review about the Irishman, where uh it had those really good moments, but intermixed in between them were these just long stretches of time where. Nothing seems to really happen, and nothing seems like it—it's really that important to the story. Um, so I was—I was disappointed in this one. I—I—I I, I was expecting more. I—I um, I was kind of hoping more for an a final ending for Jesse, and I really feel like that just kind of left you wanting to know more. And I don't know if it's because it honestly, I think had this come out shortly after the end of breaking bad, you and I had this discussion. I think when, when I was watching it, had this come out right at the end of the series or maybe a year after the series ended, it would feel right. Maybe it would feel more like that all worked, but the fact that it's out like five years or so after whenever breaking bad ended, um, which let me, I can look that real quick. If you don't have that up, Um, i got it yeah
1: so breaking bad ended in 2013 and this was released this year so you're talking probably a five-year gap from from filming
0: right so you know you're you, you got a huge break of time where yeah you know people are still like learning about breaking bad or still watch. i mean you just caught the series this year right uh last year. Yeah, so I mean, you just recently came on to it. So maybe maybe it, I and I again, we haven't really talked about what your thoughts on it were a whole lot uh but maybe for you it felt more organic uh going straight from the end to that, but for me like I I finished watching it I think shortly after the series even ended because I know as soon as it was, it was all on Netflix, I I I binged watched it and I think I was still maybe in college at the time, which would have been 2013. Um, So I I just, I didn't feel like this was necessary or important and I just wish it would have done more. Now the cinematography is great. The score is fantastic. The acting is fantastic. So I, that's what I can, I think, I think astounds me is just like, Everything else about the movie is really good. All the technical aspects of the film. It's just as the story it tells. It just doesn't do it for me. For
1: for me, I, I think that it was a, a drawn out movie of Jesse trying to get his life back uh, with a bunch of flashbacks like there, I, I would honestly think if I had estimated half the movie was flashbacks and half was in real time,
0: I would say even, I would say even more. So I'd say it's probably 75% flashback and uh, 25% actual movie. Cause I think even like when we get like looking at the passage of time, this is all within like two days and maybe even just a day in all honesty, because uh, it starts right at the end of, of where uh, the last episode of breaking bad ended. And yeah. then it picks up the next morning. And then I think it goes through to the next night because I know when he talks to his parents, uh, that's at night. And then it, it has the fin- kind of the finale bit of the movie. And then it, you know, is OK, but it's probably a couple days at the end. But I really think it only takes place in a two day period. And everything else that kind of fills out that two day period is all flashbacks. And I think the longest being Uh, Although it's good. I really do like the flashback with Todd, him going out to help him uh, at the at the apartment and then uh, hiding the body like I, I really like that. And I also liked that it showed how broken he was because uh, he gets a hold of the gun and Todd is able to talk him out of shooting him like he had the chance to escape. He had a hole already dug. Uh, He he was out in the middle of the desert. One shot. Todd's gone. He's in a car. He's on his way to freedom. But Todd's just like, hey, I was going to order us pizzas. Like, what's your favorite pizza? You know, let's let's not do this. And and you just see how broken of a person as he is. And I maybe I would have even preferred had this movie all just been the flashbacks Like it picks up right at the end of of where that episode ends in breaking bad. And then uh, we go to just everything that happened uh, instead of telling it in like broken up order where it's present day. Then it goes to flashback present day flashback. If we got all the flashback stuff first and then we kind of then pick up where, you know, he's trying to get out. He's trying to get uh, Robert Forrester's character to uh, help kind of get him out of dodge maybe that would have maybe made the movie flow a little bit a little bit better maybe that's what maybe that's what i'm picking up on that i don't really like is and i don't mind flashbacks in a film i mean I, I don't like i don't mind flashbacks in a show hell i'm a huge fan of lost and and arrow did it you know arrow still does it except it does flash forwards now um but i think that that's what really kind of hindered uh this this movie a lot and 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 I don't want to say that this was a cash grab, but it almost feels like a cash grab. Like Vince Gilligan wanting to know, like, I'm going to get a crap ton of money from Netflix. So not to say he didn't put effort, because I feel like effort's there. I think the structure is probably what hurts it.
1: I think as far as the movie goes, I don't feel like there was a sense of urgency at what like throughout the film like he's on the run yeah but you never you never really feel it like there's you, you get the scene where you got the in, in the apartment
0: yeah i think that's um, the only place it's, that you that's get that maybe the only
1: place where you feel a sense of urgency but like there's no scene where there's like him getting chased. There's no scene where it's like he's like dodging cops or something. Right. It's really just a movie showing that he's broken. He needs to get his Hoover Max Extract Pressure Pro model <laughs> filter. He needs he needs to get that. And then, uh, yeah, it's uh But, uh, uh, in in total, like you'd never you never really feel like this is going to be like the end for him. Yeah. Like they leave it very open to where they might try to cash grabs a little bit more if they want, if he ever has to.
0: Um, Well, I'm thinking like if, if they really, and and I, I would maybe be down for this if, but I know he's, uh, Aaron Paul is going to be in uh, Westworld season three. So I highly doubt it. I would almost be down for seeing a maybe either a mini series or just uh, a two season or three season series on Netflix, showing what happens at the end of this movie. Like to know finally, kind of does he find the peace that he deserves? Like I, because I, I, I don't feel like we get that. Like they try to give you that feeling, but it, it doesn't really. Feel like that happens we don't get that kind of finality to it you feel like like you said feels like it's left open-ended that they want to maybe do something more with it and uh i, I mean like i if they don't i'm not going to care if they do i'm probably going to watch it and hope for the best um like i said it's it's a movie that's definitely peppered with some really great moments like i said the the todd stuff was fantastic in that that um, kind of gunslinger moment uh, at the end at the welding, excuse me, uh, the welding place like that showed that scene there shows actually how much of a badass Jesse is that we we knew from the series. And of course, then we see him at the end of the series as that broken man. And we kind of throughout the movie, I will say it does do this well, him trying to regain that 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 kind of you know inner strength of a character who didn't take shit from anybody uh, and we we finally get him to see him come th- back to that light. but uh, it just other than that, it just didn't it didn't do anything. It was just meandering around.
1: I do think those two scenes that you just mentioned were, what they did really well was yeah. they provided they gave you that that suspense moment yeah. that just goes on for too long and you're just like just let it happen already yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> but but it was really well done well, and I, I really enjoyed both of those scenes. It's, re-
0: it's reminiscent of of the bell scene you know when when uh if you go back to guy kind of Carlo Esposito's character in the, and it's been a while since I've watched the series, so I don't remember character names a whole lot, but when he's in there and he's ringing the bell and then you're just like wondering what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. Boom. Like that's the part from the series. Like that's what the series did so well was drawing out those suspense moments. And you're just like, you're on the edge of your seat going, okay, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then it happens. And you're like, even though you knew it was going to happen, it still kind of takes you back. It catches you off guard. And those were the moments that really kind of shined in this, but they just, they weren't prevalent enough, you know, like there weren't that many of them. Uh, it just, a lot of it, I think if it had been, uh, you know, three episodes, uh, of a series it may would have made more sense that way. Cause like, cause you can do that with a show when you have like what we were talking about with the Mandalorian, you put in an episode that kind of is more of a slowing down and expanding of, of the world and the story and the mythos. And then you get right back to the action. Like that maybe would have made this feel more organic had it been kind of broken up into sections and felt more like an actual season of breaking bad versus a movie. Uh, maybe that's its problem is it should have never been a movie. It should have been a series. Um, that's a, I think a yeah. Point of debate.
1: Yeah. If they could have just closed it out with even like a short five episode yeah. thing, I think that that would have been best. And, and like, like you were saying earlier when, when you were going, like going into it earlier, um, the the characters don't look their age from the series like Matt Jones looks old Charles Baker looks old yeah even Aaron, even Aaron Paul looks old yeah. like, he, he's he's, like he's aged like he's bigger
0: now too like not not to say like he's fat but he's just he's a he's a bulkier dude and that's i mean that could be just any from like weightlifting or anything like that i'm not saying he's like lived an unhealthy lifestyle he just when you go back and watch like Breaking Bad, even when you get to the end of the series, he was still a relatively th- like skinny man, like no muscle or anything like that, especially when you've been held in captivity for what was that time jump? Was that like five years or something? Um wh- However yeah. long he was held at, with the neo-Nazis, like he was em- almost emaciated. And now we go and he's Aaron Paul of the day that's what I'm saying. Like if they maybe had done this a year after the show ended, it would have maybe worked better, but waiting six years and, um, and doing what they, they did. I, I think it just didn't work.
1: The only character that looked the same was old Joe, but yeah. that's cause Larry Hankins, Larry Hankins
0: is already an old guy. <laughs> well, I think even Mike, Mike looks the same too. You know, when they, when we see true, Mike true. For, for a little bit, cause yeah, that's uh, I mean that's just how Mike looks. I think he even looks like that when he shows up. And and uh, I can't remember if Robert Forrester ever showed up on uh the show, um. Rest in peace, because like he, I, I he's a fantastic actor, and uh, I'm trying to look on IMDb, IMDb right now to see if, because they they reference some stuff. Yeah, he did. He did show up in the show. I, I'm sure he looked the same in. Uh, 2013 that he looked like in this before he passed away. Um, now, it's not like going to because I was watching. Uh, we we're starting to rewatch the black hole on uh, Disney And all of a sudden I see Robert Forrester's name pop up in the credits. And I'm like, what? And then I could still tell it's him. But it's not like seeing him then in 1970 something and then coming to immediately to like 2019 and seeing him then seeing like that age difference. Whereas some of the younger actors now being uh, a couple years older, you're starting to see that age in them. And it it just, it kind of takes you out of the movie a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, uh, what, what's, what score do you end on for this?
0: So I, I might get some, some, uh, flack on this, but I think, and I might be giving it a, I might be a little bit generous just because, um, I don't want to really give it a bad, bad score, but I think I'm going to land on a three out of five. I was contemplating a 2.5, but I think it's better than a 2.5. And, and primarily for those two scenes, because those two scenes are in essence, breaking bad. Like they've, well, okay, take that back three scenes, but I'm not going into it because I don't want to spoil it. But the diner scene, uh, those three moments, really is what elevates the movie to being a little bit better than what, uh, what it actually is. And I think that that's because it, it kept that essence of breaking bad. It felt like breaking bad. Um, and, and it did a lot more character work than, than any of the, the rest of the film. So, uh, I, I really have a hard time with that because like and this was a movie that also I was like I was so ready for and I was like so surprised when they were it was like all of a sudden it was coming out because I it had just been kind of rumored that they were making this movie and everything and that uh, we didn't know when it was going to release. And all of a sudden they were like, oh, yeah, it's releasing in November when I went to go start watching it. I was only moving at it like five minutes at a time and like I would only watch five minutes and I turn it off and it wasn't because it was like bad, but it was just like, I wasn't feeling into it. Like it wasn't really grabbing my attention. And uh, then you mentioned you wanted to cover it here on, on an episode of the podcast. so I was like, okay, I've got to force myself to sit down and watch it. And uh, I finished like the last, because I still had like an hour and 55 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes of it left. And I just left the movie wanting more and I even talked about it with uh, with a uh, relative at uh, at Thanksgiving um, and they they kind of felt the same way like they just felt like it wasn't wasn't as good as it could have been and I don't I mean I'm not saying that Vince Gilligan you know has lost his edge or Or that you know he just was doing it for a cash grab, but it that's just it's what it feels like. Like he just put as minimal effort into it as possible, just to make money from Netflix. But I don't want to attribute that motivation to him. It just may have been it was he didn't have enough there to really come up with, but felt pressured to come up with something for fans who wanted this movie. So I think a three out of five is is uh, where I'm going to land on
1: it. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. Um, as far as, like, trying to close the story out, it it does, in a sense, close it out if, if that is the end. If that's right. where he wants to leave it, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. But if he wants to pick it back up, like, the ending will not satisfy you. Right. Um, and if you wanted to know exactly what, what Jesse ends up doing, you're also not going to be uh, satisfied with it either because it does only provide you maybe, what, what were we saying, maybe a couple days?
0: Yeah, like just Co- like, two, like yeah. two, 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 three days at most.
1: Yeah, so you don't actually see where he and you know where he goes, but you don't know what he's doing.
0: Right, right. And like that's um, where I think that this would have been more more interesting or a, a a better movie had they maybe done the first act of the film be all him trying to get what he needs to get away. And then you have the second half of the film being him trying to reintegrate into normal life undercover. Like him being concerned, like you know, his face being plastered all all across the news. And he's maybe got a new identity or something, and he's trying to hide in his new town. And then maybe someone figures it out, and then you have a whole conflict of him trying to figure out what to do next. Like, that's how I I personally probably would have structured it. I think that makes maybe for a more interesting movie, whereas this just feels like one extremely long episode of Breaking Bad that you're like, okay, I'm ready for episode two, but we're not getting an episode two, you know?
1: <laughs> it's, the, it's the one episode where it just runs on way too long.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, and that goes like even to, you know, my review of The Irishman. Like, it, I I feel like Scorsese made that movie three hours and 39, or uh three hours and 29 minutes just so he could make a three hour and 29 minute movie. Not that it was beneficial to the overall narrative now I did uh because I found it fascinating enough uh the the material I did buy I Heard You Paint Houses um to read so that's actually coming in the mail because I do want to learn more about Frank Sheeran in that uh or Sheehan not Sheeran that's not Ed Sheeran's grandfather or anything like that (laughs) um but uh you you know Ginger could go into Irish uh Uh, heritage there. Who knows? Um, anyways, yeah, I just, it it just went on, uh, too long. It just didn't, and it didn't focus on, I think the right things. Um, I, I'm, I just, I, I wish it would have been better. I wanted this to be, I wanted to be blown away by it. And I think it just, it left me unsatisfied and i and i can't say that that's again i'm not going to say it's all vince gilligan's fault it may have been my own personal expectations and that's what a lot of i think film criticism that's an issue today tends to be is expectations if you're really hyping up your own expectations uh, of a film and, and i'll give a reference point to this here in a second Um, you're only setting yourself up for failure because like, it's never going to fully meet your expectations. It might meet some of them, but if you overhype the film to yourself and then you go in and it's something completely different than what you expected, you're going to be completely upset with it and you're not going to enjoy it and you're going to completely trash it. Um, So my reference point for that is the Snyder Cut. If it is real or if it is not real... I, I, I hate these people who immediately assume it's going to be bad, that it's worse than the movie we got for Justice League when we don't know because we don't know what he had shot. Like we get we know snippets of what he shot. But if we ever get the release of that movie uh, of that cut of the movie, I know I'm going to have a hard time because I do have it hyped up. I do have higher expectations of what Snyder had intended for Justice League to be that. I could easily walk away from it being extremely upset with it depending on how it worked out. But now in, in his defense, and, and and this is a defense for a lot of directors, uh, James Cameron being one of them, um, who else, uh, director's cuts have I really enjoyed, uh, even Richard Donner, um, uh, oh gosh, I, I know I have more of these, uh, uh, even if you go to like Terminator Salvation, um these films that have kind of uh, the producer cut, even of Halloween six, um, when you have the actual movie that the filmmaker intended to actually put out the product that they intended to do when they actually get to release that it tends to work better than what the studio interference does. And, and one, uh, And since we're talking about Snyder here, Sucker Punch, I think that the extended cut of Sucker Punch is better than the regular version of Sucker Punch. Batman V Superman, the ultimate edition of that is better than what we got in theaters. And so I think that, um, when you have stu- and, and maybe this is maybe Vince Gilligan needed some studio interference on this one. I don't know if he had any interference. Uh, I haven't watched. I should. I need to watch the little documentary they have on Netflix about the making of. But I haven't heard any negative press about him having issues with Netflix or uh, any studio that he worked with with making this film. But maybe he needed a little bit more feedback from somebody saying, hey, this isn't quite working. That's not quite working. But there's a point where a studio can overextend that. Yeah, and
1: you'll you'll get uh, you'll get the Snyder cut as soon as Half Life Three is released as well.
0: So, well, <laughs> you know, did you see uh, that they uh, they've partnered with like Subway that. Uh, Subway's doing something about giving out a bunch of uh, food for. I did see that. And (laughs) so, like now, now it's getting to a point where like Warner Brothers can't really go, uh, "Yeah, it doesn't exist," or "We're not going to release it," because now you've got charities being set up to help support. Subway's on the case. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, and he showed the film cans, and like I, and honestly. Regardless of whether or not it's good or bad, I don't see how Warner Brothers um, ends up losing in this situation. They win either way. Because even if they have to spend a a significant amount of money to finish the rest of the effects, even though I think uh, Snyder has done most of that himself because that was a mandate, well, if you want to release this, uh, you have to finish the effects on your own. But even if they have to spend some money on it and they release it as part of HBO max before releasing a physical copy of it out to the public, you will have people signing up for that. Like they signed up for Disney plus and the Mandalorian and the MCU shows. Then if it sucks, you can have winter brothers going, see, we know what we're doing. We're right. Trust us. Or if it ends up being really great, you you're you're gonna have people shilling out more money to Warner Brothers to buy physical copies of it and and spread it around and then they are seen as the heroes for actually releasing this cut of this film. so I don't really see it as a win-lose scenario. It's a win-win you just have to be smart about it
1: it's a win-win but I think that Snyder probably just keeps all the copies of it at his house and oh, plays yeah. it in his own personal theater on repeat um conspiracy
0: conspiracy <laughs> conspiracy confirmed <laughs> confirmed um but yeah i i i uh i really hope that does eventually get released sometime in my lifetime e- even if it sucks like i just i i mean i i want to see what his intended vision was you know and i i think that that's that's uh not right to really do i mean when you go back and you if you watch halloween um Six, the Curse of Michael Myers producer cut. It is a completely different movie than what actually got released in theaters. And it's actually a better movie. And, um, uh, you know, I just like I think anything that helps improve a film, uh, regardless, I guess, I mean, I, I'm I'm speaking and without having actually seen a version of the Snyder cut, you know, I, I, I can only feel like that would better the movie. So and I don't even hate what we got in theaters. I, I have issues with it, but I don't hate it. So I think like, if I don't hate what we got, I'm probably going to like what we didn't get. So, uh, yeah, that's just my thoughts on that. That was not something I intended to talk about here today on the podcast. It just kind of happened organically. Uh, I don't have anything more else to add about El Camino. Um, I don't know if you've got any final thoughts you want to. Uh, no, I think that will wrap it up. All right. Well, guys, um, again, we're going to provide uh, we have an affiliate link for that Texas Tall Tales. So it's going to be in the description um, or in the show notes. You should be able to see it there. Um, also, if you want to kind of submit your own favorite Christmas movies, we'll be talking about them on the podcast when we do our Christmas episode. Um, so you can write into the podcast at critics, not cynics, at Gmail dot com. Or you can just DM me on Twitter. And, uh, I will, uh, get your guys' stuff and I I will probably be releasing a tweet as well to announce that, uh, I would like to get some, some feedback from, from people out there in the audience and, uh, we'll be doing our, our top 12 list and, uh, we may or may not be taking a short break around New Year's, um, It's to be determined. I haven't quite made up my mind if I want to take a little vacation that week, but it would only be for a week. So if we're going to take an extended period of time, that would be uh, announced well uh, ahead of the podcast. So as always, if you want to follow us, you can follow us now on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Store, or Podbean. Be sure to subscribe uh, and rate and review the podcast wherever uh, you get your podcast. and we will see you next time.